Hey, Static Void Podcast listeners. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about a new developer conference in the Northeast U.S. called Tech Bash. It's happening September 28th to 30th at the Kalahari Indoor Water Park and Resort in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, just under a two-hour drive from both Philadelphia and New York City, and totally drivable from Boston and Washington, D.C., too. Keynotes from Pete Brown and Glenn Block will be kicking things off and setting the tone for 40 world-class speakers who will be presenting on a variety of topics such as .NET Core, Xamarin, Azure, Docker, TypeScript, AngularJS, and Aurelia, as well as some more general sessions on concepts like Agile, DevOps, open source development, application security, and more. And if that's not enough for you, when you stay at the resort using the discounted rate of $159 per night, Everyone in your room gets free access to the water park. And if you register with the special discount code static void, you can get a hundred bucks off. So come for the presentations, stay for the slides, go to techbash.com to register, but act fast because registration ends soon. Developers, 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 developers. Welcome to the Static Void Podcast. Yeah. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Slinger. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We are recording this on the evening of August 3rd, 2016. And in this episode, we're going to continue on our ASP.NET core series of uh, discussions. Like, how do you use it? What, when you sit down and you open up Visual Studio, file new project, What's the experience? What are you going to look for? You know, how do you get your packages? All that stuff. So kind of the, the practical stuff. So, uh, Chris, I know that you've been doing a lot of, a lot of research lately, a lot of looking into this. What is the kind of most uh, significant thing that you've found? You know, probably the first thing is in the .NET Core world, in ASP.NET, there's no web forms. Yeah. Which will probably elicit Yay! a cheer, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Not not right now. There's not. No web yeah. forms. No there's web no web forms. forms. No so, web forms. So if you're an ASP.NET MVC developer today and you move forward, probably the first and most significant change is that you now have a dedicated folder that by default, when you file a new project in Visual Studio uh, 2015 with all the tooling installed and everything, you have this dedicated www root folder where these these static files go now. That's that's the place to put your CSS, your JS, your images. And and that's actually a real shift. It might have been when MVC first burst on the scene, it was much more of a server-side world. And over the last several years, it's become much more of a client-side world. So making mm. that accommodation for client-side was really important. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting in 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 my history um, and in the history of ASP.NET, and I think there was actually a, a pretty significant security bug in the past couple of years uh, where it was exposing some kind of some sensitive files in your website, right? I think it was actually exposing web.config, um, ASP.NET IIS was, right? And so it's always been this, the root of your project, of your solution is the root of your website. And now you've got to try and hide and, yeah. and guard against all of these code files, right? The, the files that run your website versus the JavaScript and HTML and static files that you actually want to go down to the server. So now this is more of like an opt-in approach. Right. So yeah, that's that was a big deal. Um, there's a lot of JSON files sitting in that in that project 
lot now of that, JSON in this new world. Yeah. And they're not they're not uh, they're not data files like for your website. They're they're meaningful to your project. They're settings. So, first of all, there's Project JSON, right? Which was the which was going to be the new project format for .NET Core and for ASP.NET Core and everything. That was going to be it. Yep. But we know now that um, even though it's RTM'd, that that will not be it, that we are going to move back to CS Proj. Mm. What did you think about Project JSON? We had it for at least a year, all the betas I, and everything. I thought it was a blatant copy of the, the node. Uh, Package I, I, JSON, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm so used to project.json now that I literally forget what the node equivalent was. But yeah, package <laughs> JSON. It, 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 just a blatant ripoff, and I don't necessarily mean that critically. It might sound very critically, but it, it, like word for word, like this is where you list your dependencies. This is where you do your configuration. This is where you kind of do a little bit of configuration of your project at design time, development time, and runtime configuration, like including files, hosting files, you know, all all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, it, the the structure looked almost exactly the same, and it was just it was okay you know this is definitely um node on .net kind of kind of approach here um, yeah and but the the other thing that it really encouraged or allowed is it was a departure from the classic way of uh visual studio projects cs proj and thing where your files do not show up in your project in visual studio unless you add them to the project. So you could have files just sitting in your folder structure and unless you include them in Visual Studio or flip that little bit to say show all files, um, they're not gonna show up and you know may not even get included in your source control integration and stuff. And so this takes the opposite approach of if it's a file in your folder, this folder is your project, so it's in your project. So right. we just need the bare minimum, right? And we don't need anything to, to say that. You exclude. You go and you blacklist things. You exclude things, um, exclude files that you you don't want to show up or don't want to include in your tooling or whatever. And other platforms had taken that approach, right? Like, well, that's the node approach. And it's also much friendlier to the concept of uh, allowing people to use the tool of their choice. If if you don't have a special project format, like a a solution file or whatever, if you don't have something that's super special then it really opened up this whole world of, well, you know, it'll run, you you could use, you could edit this in Atom, you could edit it in Sublime, you could edit it in Emacs. And that's what the whole OmniSharp project was all about. Yeah. So it's friendlier, but I think to be clear, even though we just said that the plan is to to go back to CS Proj, that does not mean that we go back to the opt-in I'm sorry, the opt out approach. It is still right, going right. to be the same approach. Right. So it's not CS Proj. CS Proj remains exactly the same. It's now X Proj. It's a new project type um, that that is that takes this more this uh, this opt out approach where you it says the wherever this X Proj file is located, that's the root of your solution, and every file in there, hey, there you go. Right. It's it's in your project. You can access it. Um, with, with some exceptions, uh, you know, when I tried to add Bower <laughs> to my project, all of a sudden, like I, I was trying to find the, the Bower RC files and the Bower config files, which are, if you're doing a node project, they're just there. Right. Or if you're doing adding, uh, NPM or Bower to just a, a regular old, uh, legacy ASP.NET app, 
they're there in Visual Studio, or at least they're there in the folder structure and you can add them to your project and you can see them. But no matter how hard I tried, even by saying show all files, these Bower configurations, and eventually when I added NPM, the same thing happened there. These configuration files were just hidden, very exclusively and deliberately hidden from me. So that was that was kind of weird. I, I hope they improve that a little bit. Um, I can understand their thinking that like, oh, don't worry about these things, right? These are like core configuration for the tooling. Like you shouldn't be changing them, but hey, maybe I should, maybe I can't, right? I do in my my node projects, so why wouldn't I change them yeah. here? I mean, anytime you have configuration, I think all that stuff should be front and center. If you're yeah. hiding stuff from me and then all of a sudden I have to figure out what's going on, Yeah. either I'm going to go create my own thinking one doesn't exist and all of a sudden I have two of them. Um, so I think it's important too to talk a little bit about like what was some of the reasoning They've decided to go back to the pro- the the X project file, right? A lot of this is to do with they want to have across all of .NET Core, which now includes Xamarin and UWP, they want to have a common project structure, right? Right. That's what we've, yeah. we've heard so far. I think really um, they just didn't want to depart so far from the classic Visual Studio project. So the the big thing about the X project is that it's XML, not JSON. Yeah. Right. And I think it is a it is a project. It is a Visual Studio project file, meaning it is an MS build file. So you right. can still they have not so the the project.json just abandoned MS build pretty much completely. And so now they've gone back to that and they said, wait a minute, we've there is an ecosystem in MS build that we can still continue to get value out of. Well, uh, and also you would have to migrate Xamarin this way. And uh, the other thing that always shows up in the slide is Unity. And I know that like Xamarin is Microsoft owned. Unity, there's a great partnership. So there's a, there's a difference there. Although it makes you wonder, right? <laughs> <laughs> we used to say that about Xamarin. <laughs> right, we used to say that about Xamarin. But, but still, when it comes to Unity, you know, Unity's definitely bought in to, to .NET. And so to, to try and tell those folks, if you want to come along for the .NET Core ride, you'd have to abandon, Yeah, you know, you'd have to come this way. I think instead it became easier to say, well, we're, you know, ASP.NET is the one that made the big change. It's probably easier to move it back than it is to yeah, move everyone sense. else our way. And I but think this was a to, great we don't compromise. Have to, yeah, right. It, it was it was literally, it was like, it's like the smallest file that you can have in order to be a Visual Studio project, to define the boundaries of a Visual Studio project, and then everything else is just implied or conventions or whatever you want to say, right? But you can still bring in build tasks and all of that stuff, get into that MS build ecosystem when you need to. So, so I haven't dug too much into running anything with RTM other than sort of hello world. If I create a file new project today, am I still using project.json or am I now using this xproj? Well, today we're, we're, we're doing this on August 3rd, right? With yeah. RC2 tooling, I think. Today it's still there, um, but I think yeah. it's the very next release it's going to so be it's, removed. It's so RTM the- of ASP.NET. But it's but the tooling is called Visual Studio yeah. Preview Two tooling, which still uses Project.json. So there, so yes, I'm looking at a Project.json file, which is essentially going to go back to being a a project file of some kind. And but if but if we if I go to the file system, Web Application One dot just all it really says is, oh, I'm attached to this folder. Yeah. Out of the box, that's all it says. But you can add to it, right? That you can use that to enhance, even though you're not really going to in in most scenarios. 
So when the next version comes out, if I build a website using project.json, is there just going to be a migration path? Is project.json still going to be used in some things? That's my only concern that right now, yeah, if you're a current MVC developer, you don't necessarily use project.json, so the switchover is not that impact to you. But if you start building something, are you now going to lose something when this happens? It's a good question. Well, and uh, more specifically, one of the big things that project.json is used for is is the dependencies, the package manager, right? So when you go in and you add packages, they're held in project.json. So is that going to continue to stick around and just hold the packages or or where is that list going to go? Right? It's got to live somewhere, right? Yeah. Because that's the thing that you're going to check in. You're not going to check in the packages. You're going to check in the name of the package and the version of the package and then use .NET Restore to restore it. Well, so except it, you're not going to do it if you're in Visual Studio. So one of the things about the Visual Studio experience is that when you open up your your web project and there's a .NET Restore to be done because there are NuGet packages to go get, or there's some a Bower install, if you were on command line, to be done because you, the, the default project, the default MVC project, goes ahead and takes jQuery, jQuery validation and bootstrap. It goes ahead and takes those, but it does it through Bower. It just goes and grabs that stuff. Like you can watch it say restoring, restoring. Yeah, it's really good integration. Right. So it's all integrated. Although I will say this, that if you've never heard of Bower before, you're going to, you might not even know to open this dependencies node. And then underneath it, you see Bower and you're like, what? And so that, you know, so I guess... I guess Bower's here for front-end scripts that maybe some people used to get through NuGet, but a lot of folks complained about that, right? Like that wasn't a very good solution. It wasn't the best way to go get Angular was to use NuGet. I think, yeah, I think that was a an interim solution. It was a just, it was kind of a hack, you know, like we need to be able to deliver JavaScript and we already have this delivery mechanism for DLLs. So why yeah. don't we just put those files in there? Right. And after a while, they just got tired of it. And, and it means someone has to maintain that. Yeah, That's the biggest problem right. is, is every time there's a new version of Bower or Angular or whatever, you need to literally build a new version of, of NuGet, right. of a NuGet package, um, as opposed to the Bower repository and even the npm repository works this way where you can just point it to a get um repo you know a, a repo and just say here follow this right so by exposing a new version in that repo that is how you publish or release a new version and it's just it's just there you don't have to do anything other than that so here's another departure there is no global asax file in here there is instead a program.cs with a public static void main yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a call, a call to the podcast. Thank you, Microsoft. <laughs> that's super weird for web development, though, right? Unless, unless you were one of the folks who got into, got pretty seriously into Owen and self-hosting Web API and SignalR, which I've done. One of the three guys who did that. Yeah, like if we're one of the few <laughs> people who maybe actually done that. Yeah. Now we're all, we're all, we've all got a public static. Are, are we going to be in this file? Are we going to no. be in? No, I can say. I can say with absolute you, certainty you're not going to be If you get in, in there, file. you probably should take a step back. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So you're saying that's probably fine to leave alone. It sets up Kestrel and IIS integration. And it, it also defines that in order to get the rest of your startup information, you should go to Startup CS, which is where we should live. Yes. 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 Okay. We used to go to Global ASAX to kind of do that setup stuff. 
Yeah. But now yeah, we go to start applications and start or, yeah. or session on start. Yeah. 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 The, the whole point of that file is get in and get out, like transfer um, ownership of the request of the application to startup CS, right? To the actual application code. This is more of lower level configuration code that what this file represents is set up my host. So yeah. if you, if you use it from the command line, you can run it from the command line and be self hosting. Um, or if you're running it from the ASP.NET Core module, you can host an IIS, but then IIS is literally just handing off every request to you. So that's but, the other thing. When you create the project, it creates that web config. And in that web config, it has got one section, one line, one HTTP module. And this is the classic HTTP module at the ASP.NET that you used to know and love, the, the full, um, because that's how IIS is implemented right now. It has the a. It's literally called ASP.NET Core module. Yep, and that is registered as a module, and so it's configured as any verb, any path. Give it to the ASP.NET Core module. So, in other words, any request that comes into this virtual directory into this application, hand it right over to ASP.NET Core. Like so, jump out of IIS. But you can still use the IIS features that you're used to if you want to on top of this, right? Like you can still use IS caching and everything if you choose to host an IIS, right? You're just not going to have, you're not going to have the integration. You're not going to be able to use that stuff in your ASP.NET Core application because that would be crossing the boundary. So we have this boundary of the host, which can be smart and do a bunch of stuff like SSL and IPv6 and you know all this other stuff, reverse proxying and everything, right? But then in your application, you just get an HTTP request and you handle it, right? You don't worry yeah. about any of that other stuff. So, and, and, and all this is being done because the idea now that ASP.NET Core can run on multiple platforms, right? If I'm going to deploy yep. the Linux, yep. IS isn't going to be there. I'm going to be running an Apache. So we'd have an equivalent uh, way of bridging from the Apache world into ASP.NET Core. Right. I assume you would have the same ASP.NET Core module in an Apache module. Yeah, which would make which sense. would do the same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. So when I look at um, what I'm going to call a classic MVC application <laughs> MVC that I also, MVC I also built with, yes, our unauthorized <laughs> use of the term ASP.NET Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I also built it in 2015, and it's uh, its web config is 97 lines long. Wow, 2015. <laughs> Man, we're getting legacy here. I know. We're so, it's so last year. And then when I look at, what's Visual Studio 2015? That's current. <laughs> And then when I look at when I look at what we what we've got in our .NET Core one, it's fourteen lines of code. And you're right; its only purpose in life is to set up ASP.NET Core module. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's point out a couple of specific things that you're used to putting in there that are not like explicitly not in there. The connection strings or oh well, yeah, strings. yeah. One of the main things, if not the main thing, is app settings connection strings. The ASP.NET Core and, and .NET Core has a whole new configuration API that you're just you're not using web config. You're not depending on web config because web config is an IIS thing. That's the way you configure when you host your site in Apache or self-hosting. With the file, the web config file, literally doesn't even exist. Right? There's, right. You need a a, a host uh, a, a configuration format or approach that is abstracted from the host that you're sitting on. Now, there's a layered approach to configuration, right? That that you could either supply files or, and, and eventually you can even write the code in such a way that it'll check this, then check this, then check this. And like environment variables is in there in that list. Yes. So 
I love I love the new configuration API. I've written something like it in the past so that I can get out of it. So basically, like you're not because we as ASP.NET developers we're used to just saying configuration manager give me a setting right, and that comes from the app setting in the web config. But what if you want to have more dynamic settings? What if you want to read settings from a database or something right? And so you need this wrapper that you don't want to say go to my database settings and get it from here. You just want to say configuration object right. I have a configuration object and I give it a string, I give it a key and it gives me back a setting. Ideally, even better, it gives me back a type setting. I can say, give me back this key of type integer or Boolean, right? And it just gives you a nicer API than the string string version of that yeah, comes that out of the box. It's case sensitive. And if you misspelled something, all of a sudden you were... Yeah, and it looks like by default, they're, they're saying, well, we'll look in appsettings.json. Which yeah, might there, be useful for development, no, right? No, 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 no. There is no default. Well, there is nothing. You well, I'm looking it. at what's I'm looking at what they're doing in the in the okay, you're right. There is no default. I agree with that. So There's let nothing, me clarify. Yeah. I'm looking at what they're doing in the template. The, in the, the template file new project code. template. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, That's yep. in the startup class. They're saying they're saying, here's what we're gonna do. We'll, we'll take a look at appsettings.json and then we'll and then I guess this we'll take a look at a special app settings environment name.json and if you haven't done that we'll look at environment variables or does it go in the reverse order yes so well to be very specific go back to the beginning what you do is you create a new configuration object and this is just a thing that's just sitting there right it's this dictionary that's waiting for you to to populate it with stuff and then you pull stuff from different places and those are each of those places is uh, an api that is a package Right. Yeah. So if you want to use JSON files, you go and you get the configuration, the JSON configuration package to allow support for that. And then you say, add JSON file, give it a name of the JSON file. And you can even make each of these things optional. Right. So one of the best things that I love to do is create a configuration and then say, um, read in the, 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 the global configuration, right? The configuration file that I'm going to like check into the server. Right. And then add an environment specific configuration value or a configuration file and say, you can actually like, you know, use, use a dynamic string and actually say config.release, config.debug.json, right? And go and find that. And then after that, you can go and you can say, give me the, like a developer specific, like a user settings file. And that's the file that you don't check in. And so that's the thing that you as a developer, you can put that on your local machine. You can add it to your git ignore file or tf ignore file. And so just to make sure it never gets checked into source control. And then you can set the database configuration to your local database and actually like put your host name in there and stuff. And then you can mark that as optional, which means exactly what it sounds like. If that file is yeah. not there, it just says, okay, cool. I, I look for Move it. on to the next thing. Yeah. Basically, it would register them in that order, but it would evaluate them in the reverse order. So if I registered my developer settings last in code, that would be the thing that got hit first. Right. And eventually something wins in that layered list. And it sounds to me like the real purpose of this is that is that uh, I could now set up my project so that it's, we talk about this a lot, or I do, so that it's F5-able. Yeah. I get a new developer on the team yeah. and yeah. I say, you just pull the code down and hit F5 and it's at least going to work with some configuration. Yep. Yes. You need some developer specific stuff because you're, you maybe, you know, uh, you're, you're working on the project and you've got, you're setting a, a local folder that, that only means something to your, mm-hmm. what you're working temp on. Okay. Or something. Your yeah. Database, yeah. Temp directory. So let's, let's add, let me, let me put it in a specific JSON file, yep. but we're going to production 
we're going to use environment variables there. Yep, 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 yep. yep. And, and like just said, I mean, I've done things too. There used to be all kind of different toolkits or add-ons and things to make this same experience today, but it was like a lot of overhead. It was not clear-cut. Now it's built in. No more app settings. This should help you avoid checking in config. Should yeah. help you your app yeah. be F5-able. Well, and you can really also like. do, you're not going to get it out of the box. And as far as I know, there's no package for it. But you can also do something like I said earlier, which is actually go and read these configurations from a database. Right, sure. Right, you can curious, create a custom yeah. provider, a configuration provider that goes and reads from the database. All right, so so that's different. Configuration's different, but we think it's improved. Um, what about... We're still in the startup CS file, so there's still some more stuff that you can do. That's true. Like you can add services and MVC is a service. Now I will tell you this. I get a little confused as to what goes into the configure method and what goes into configure services. Yeah. <laughs> MVC is a service, but why like what's what would what would have been I don't know why. What would have been so horrible if it was just something I added in config, like app use MVC. I don't know. I think the only difference there is that um the ASP.NET like host goes in, it reads these, uh, it executes these methods in a certain order and kind of the startup like pipeline or whatever, right? And okay. so like there's a, there's a life cycle, there's a startup kind of life cycle that these things run in. And so certain things are not available. So there's, what were the two of them? The two sections? There's, there's configure, configure and configure services. Configure and configure services, yeah. So I think configure services runs um, second. And so if you try to in configure uh, access a service, you know, use dependency injection or something, that thing wouldn't have been configured yet. So an interesting thing when you look through the configure method, and this might blow some people's minds, is that there's actually some some middleware being set up here to do simple things like the the yellow screen of death, which I don't think is yellow anymore. The <laughs> use developer, it's so app dot use developer exception yeah. page. If you I don't actually think do it's a, that, you get a blank page. Literally, you just a blank get page. nothing, right? You get nothing, nothing happens. You get a five hundred error if you open up the the developer tools and look at the network request. You see the five hundred error, but the page is white. It's nothing. Right. And now, could you opt out of the the yellow screen before? I mean, if no, well, you would have to say custom errors, right? Use the yeah, you'd have to redirect the 500 okay. error. So yeah. you had to do something where yeah. now they're saying, in fact, it says right here, if environment is development, you get the developer exception page. So theoretically in production, that can't even appear, which I think a lot of people would say is actually a good thing because yeah. we, put a, we yeah. probably put a lot of time and effort into, <laughs> yeah. into turning that off. Yep. I've definitely been to some production websites that all of a sudden they come up like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I guess they're running this. Oh, I see it. Yeah, <laughs> I see it today, to this day. And then and that developer exception page is really nice. It's much nicer than the yellow screen of death that we get now. It gives you a lot of really, really good So it's like the, yeah. the blue screen of friendliness. Yeah, exactly. It's blue, right? <laughs> it's kind yes. of like a, yeah. a nice it's friendly blue. blue. But you just, you said something, you just kind of glossed right over. You said if development, right? What, what, yeah. what, what exactly does it say? It says if env dot is development so it's detecting that you're in the development environment the environment is development yeah and where does that come from <laughs> i have no idea how it, it detects comes that. from how does a it configuration know? it comes from an environment variable is that the app settings json saying so so if you go into the project settings um so if you like go to uh just the way you stay with in, in visual studio standards right go to the properties on your project on your web project 
it's in there. You'll see that when you run this, what are the settings or, or variables or values or whatever that you want to pass on the command line or the profile variables? And, oh, or, so, sorry, environment so this variables. is nice. So in the pri- properties of the project, you can add environment variables as if you had added them to your system. Yep. And they only show up in certain cases. So when you run from Visual Studio, Visual Studio is going to use that configuration. When you drop to the command line, even on that same system and you run it, it's not going to go through the same thing and it's not going to have the, uh, those same environment variables. Yeah. Like it's nice because adding environment variables, I mean, it depends on who you are, right? Some people think it's a pain in the rear. Yeah. It's a little bit of magic, a little bit too magical for me. <laughs> We've all done Java in the past, right? Add the Java what is the path or whatever and hope it yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, now here's another one, right? If you don't have this little, and it's in the template, so most of us are getting it, but if you don't have app.usestatic files, you can't even serve JavaScript, right? Yeah. You, you couldn't yeah. serve HTML. CSS, JavaScript, nothing. Those requests would just fail. Right. They'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. So this is, so before we used to kind of get a box of what, what 80% of the people probably wanted. And now what we're getting is everyone has to opt in. Yep. But to make your life easier, the template opts into what 80% of the people probably <laughs> want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it, that, the concept becomes a lot easier to understand and, and even work with when you think of the concept of middleware. Right. So middleware is think of it as a pipeline. So you have a request that comes in in one end and then it comes out the other end. And if you start out ASP.NET and you don't configure any of this stuff, the request literally just goes in and comes right out untouched. Meaning. Yeah, there's nothing know, there to process. There's nothing there to process. There's a white page. There is. Um, no ability to know about the file system in order to check to see whether there's a file there or not, right? Like it's just, it just comes in and the request is just, it's a string at that point. It's a URL. It doesn't necessarily inherently map to a file in that, in that relative path, right? Nobody and picked so it up. Yeah. Nobody the picked middleware it up. picked it up. Yeah. So yeah. you add the static files middleware and that middleware, the static files middleware has the logic to say, okay, I know how to treat this URL. Like I look at this request and I see that this URL is actually a relative path to a file on the local file system. I'll go check and see if it's there. Is it there? Yeah, I'll return it, right? And I'll mark the request as done. I'm I'm good, right? I handled it. Otherwise, I'll just let it go on to the next piece of middleware. And if every right. piece of middleware just says, nope, nothing for me, then the request just comes out the other end untouched. And it's blank, yeah. And it's blank, yeah, so, uh, which is different from classic ASP.NET where there was a whole bunch of crap, HTTP modules and handlers and everything that were doing all kinds of stuff uh, whether you wanted them to or not. And often you were fighting against that. Yeah, if you've ever tried so, to eject okay. something in the middle, you were yeah, you had to yeah. find where that was set. Yeah, so okay. it, it, it sounds like in many ways it's kind of clarified us a little bit for my own sake. Previously, right, we were always hosting IS, right? That was where we wanted to go. So IS handles a lot of that stuff, right? It handles serving up static files and things. So now it seems like because ASP.NET is being built to run across different web browsers and different platforms, yeah. they now have to bring a lot of that same in-the-box features into actually into the core of ASP. Yeah, right. 
and now you have to enable those things, right? Which makes sense, so, right, from a security standpoint. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to serve static files. No, but that's I a good point. Serve. So you can go, if we go back to the web config that we talked about, you're still, if you are running an IIS, you're still running an IIS. So the default web config that comes out of the template, the ASP.NET Core template says, hand all requests over to ASP.NET Core, don't process them at all. If you wanted IIS to handle your static files, you could configure that in web config just like you do today. Yeah, would make you sense. You could configure that handler to say any JavaScript file, anything with these extensions, JavaScript files, HTML files, CSS files, just handle them in IIS. In other words, don't let that request get to the ASP.NET Core pipeline, right? But then you don't want to do that because then now your, your application is dependent on that specific implementation, that web host, right? And it's not, you can't, it's not portable. You can't bring it to other right. web hosts. And, and I'm, I'm sure most of the people who listen to the podcast probably one of the things they've done a lot is security, right? If you ever wanted to go say, this folder, allow anonymous. This other folder, don't allow anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems like that, what you would need to do now would change, right? You wouldn't necessarily yep. want that. Yep, yep. Unless you're just IIS. If you're just IIS, obviously you can continue to using what works. Right. So if you've invested a lot in IIS security and modules and everything, let it keep doing that for your static files and then, then hand the dynamic stuff off to ASP.NET Core. You can absolutely do that. And that might even be your migration path, part of your migration path to ASP.NET Core. Yeah. And then it looks like you configure MVC with routes. So that goes to what you're saying, Jess, is that an, a request is coming through this pipeline. It's dropping through the, you know, it's saying use developer exception page. No, there's no exception here. Moving on. Yep. I've gotten to static files. Uh, this isn't a static file. Moving on. Yep. Use MVC says, ah, I recognize this URL. It's a route. Yep. So I know what to do. I know which controller to activate. Well, more more specifically, You've registered the MVC middleware, and the first thing the middleware does is say, for this request, do I have a matching route? No, pass it on. Pass right? it like, on, and, and then it starts it. popping back up the pipeline, which yep. is because it yep. goes out and comes back, right? Right, yes. It's on the return trip, even though I said this, one of the very early ones is use developer exception page, but that's frankly coming on the way back. All, yeah, all, all middleware has the opportunity to handle it on the way in and the way out. So on the way out, what happens is the use developer exception page is like, hey, there's something wrong, and I know what to do now. I know how to expose yeah. this in the the friendly screen of blueness yep. Yep. to make <laughs> developers <laughs> happy. Yeah, well, and, and, and more importantly, it is they execute in the order that you define them in in the code, right? So sure. if you say in code, use uh, the error page handler before the MVC code it's going to execute before and then again after on the way back out right so everything you, you do it in order of uh configuration on the way in and then reverse order of configuration on the way out so, so yeah, go ahead i was going to say just relating back to current things routing today is a handler right so again it sounds like we're taking the concept of what we had before handler now we're moving to middleware yeah, today all of web forms, ASP.NET web forms is a handler. It's the web yeah. forms handler, right? And yeah, right. when you do an MVC app, ASP.NET MVC is the handler. More specifically, it's the routing handler. Yeah. Yep. So that's so, just yeah. getting the same concept back and forth. So. Yeah. That's how they so were so easily able to bring the MVC framework to the ASP.NET platform is because yeah, so it's built on a this, new handler to handle it. It's yeah. just a new handler. Yeah, it is literally as simple as that. So just in case you're, you weren't plugged in to all the last year or two of, of 
of moving to this. Um, there's nothing, we've said nothing about web API, about ASP.NET web API. We've said nothing about it. Yeah. Well, who needs web API? Whoever needed well, web API? <laughs> I don't know. I use web API all the time now. It's, it's the opposite well, for me. So now, it, you know, use MVC is what you would do if you wanted to create a web API. I always, that's, that's what I did before, right? Like all that web API gave you was most of the stuff was like rewritten. Like it took the same exact concepts of MVC that keep in mind web API came in after MVC. So it was literally like rewriting code that was already written and they just wrote new code. I mean, talk about concept compatible. There was literally like two implementations of action filters. You're right. And they weren't the same, right? But they yeah, were the the same separately concept. and you could, they could on the one yeah. hand, run each other. And... It solved a few problems. Like one thing you got out of the box was when, when somebody made a call into your API and the accept header said it wanted XML, that just worked. Uh, and that I, was a thing. That was a thing. I know it's not anymore. But the first thing I did, the first thing I did <laughs> when I started using MVC was create an action filter that allowed you to do that. It was the very first thing I did. It wasn't hard. It was literally four lines of code, right? It's, it's, it's not out of the box. To your point, it's not out of the box, yeah. right? But you, you can do all of the stuff that Web API provided to you. You could do with native MVC, you could. sure, and you could just. It, it, it wasn't out of the box, but you could do it. And so, why did we like add, all that Web API added was these conventions? The restful conventions get put post delete, right? So, I mean that those could but just now, as easily be. Aren't those conventions on... combined into the current controller? Right. So now you so, do HTTP post, HTTP get as an attribute on your MVC controller, and you do the the same thing, right? The the, the big difference is there's only one base controller class now. Yes. You don't have to like, right. all right, I'm going to be web API, so I have to do API controller. I'm going right. to do MVC. There's this yeah. one. And you still follow the basic things. If I want Git and post, I just put Git and post. Yeah, I love it. It, it just works. Okay, now what it's about this? It. What about this? What about the the a couple years ago? This was much vaunted. I don't know if they talk about it much anymore, or if anyone cares. You don't have to derive from controller, right? Right. Do, do All, you think that's a big deal? It no. It's it's awesome to have that flexibility. I think practically speaking, everyone will continue to, but you don't have to. So. In the ASP.NET MVC framework, in the code itself, it would look for, give me all the classes that derive from controller, right? And have the name, the suffix uh, controller and strip that name and blah, blah, and use that for routing and all this stuff. Right now, what the controller, the the reason it is still opt-in and the reason that you're still probably going to want to use it is because it works as a base class in in the exact sense of the word that you would expect, meaning it defines a bunch of helper methods, like a bunch of behavior that you're going to want to use, like view, right? Return view, and it calls a method. Um, where would that method live if it didn't live on that base class? How, you know, I'm, I'm so you, so you think generally it's it worth it? Oh, absolutely, it's worth it, but yeah. it's nice that you don't have to, right? You don't if what that I just what that what helper the use method case is was, doing. Though. It's really it's returning. If you look at it, it's just one line of code that says return new view result, review content yeah. result, and sure. it passes in all the stuff that you pass to it, right? It's just a it's a wrapper method. It's a helper method, and you can just make that call yourself. That's the alternative. Yeah, and, and look, don't get me wrong. I, I, I get it. There's flexibility to that, but I just wondered, like, what is the use case? Is it some hardcore test-driven development that's the use case for not wanting to drive off of controller? Yeah, well, I would say that is. Uh, there's... Um, just a lot of people I feel like are going away from uh, inheritance 
Okay. Right. So that's, it's really, yeah. it, I think that's really just it. It's, it's your preference. Do you not like inheritance, right? Do you, do you prefer composition over inheritance? In that case, fine. Just make a class with methods, literally as simple as that, and name it controller, and it'll get picked up and it'll get registered. Um, but so then you can opt in to use inheritance to make your life easier while you're in that class, but you don't have to. It's no longer a bar- barrier to entry. This, this seems like a 90-10 rule. 90% of people are going to continue moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah have. 99. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see a few things, like if, if from like a web API point of view, maybe there are some use cases, but yeah, it, it seems more like, oh, I'll experiment with it and it don't be anything really worthwhile. I, well, I can, I can tell you from experience, right? Like I knew that this was a new feature and this was a new thing. And so I tried in earnest to do it because I sure. prefer composition over inheritance. You like, want to see it work, that yeah. Fight. Yeah. yeah you're and to so I did it. I created you. a new class and I'm like, I'm not going to derive from controller. And then I get to the end and I say, I want to return a view. I'm going to say return new view result, and I'm going to pass in five parameters. No, 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 no. I'll just derive. <laughs> <laughs> like, going to derive from controller, yeah, right? It's going to do it. Like, whatever. Yeah. I will it's tell good. you this, though, is that if you go and because the code is open source, if you want to really, really understand, like, some hardcore ways of, of, of decoupling your code from, from, like, having to use inheritance, go look at what they did. Yeah, it's beautiful. It might be code. instructional for other... No, it definitely for other stuff. Definitely it's is beautiful code. It's always good to go look at the source and, and see how things are doing. You know what the the most impressive thing about that code to me is how small it was, how little code run. And by it, I'm talking about ASP.NET MVC version five, four, three, you know, older ones than this. I'm sure it applies to this code too, the core code. Um, but I mean, it's just it's simple. It is like. The model binder, the core model binder is like 10 lines of code, right? It's like 10 classes of 10 lines of code a piece. So it's really 100 lines, 150 lines. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bunch it's, of code, obviously, but it's like each piece is truly separation. They're following Solid. They're implementing yes. Solid. It's, it it's is responsibility. beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, and, and that's important, right? Because, I mean, one of the big things that MVC introduced and now Core even takes a long is this is all replaceable, right? The source code's out there, obviously, but all these things are plug and playable. If you want to bring in a different way of doing things, you have that flexibility. Yes. I mean, most people will never do it, but hey, if you wanted to change the pipeline or you want to change things around, you have the ability to do it. Yeah. And that's always case. been the case with ASP.NET MVC. Um, well, and even classic ASP.NET, like the framework itself, it was all built on handlers and modules right so you could put in whatever you wanted under there it just wasn't built that way it wasn't built with that in mind whereas with the asp.net mvc framework even you know version one two three four five everything before this it was built that way with that mindset from the beginning but now that applies to the whole asp.net platform i mean i overrides the view engine a few times and the thing i was always was weird is you had to remove the old ones so this way it seems like more i'm opting in seems cleaner I think it's still that's still kind of the case, more or less. Yeah, yeah. So, so go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say we really haven't talked about the elephant in the room, right? The idea that system dot web is gone, right? I mean, that's the big change, right? We're who, talking about all this concept compatibility. Who needed system it? Web is, well, no, it's it's right. It's it's good. It's gone, right? Because it was filled with web forms and all this old tech technology we didn't need anymore. Com. <laughs> Com interop, right? Yeah, yeah. com interop was in there. So you're, let's say you're still using Razor. You're going to make CSHTML files. They look very similar to me, but there's a couple new features, right? Like for the one that, that gets a lot of discussion is tag helpers. 
Tag helpers um, are, are, are weird to me. I love it. Uh, I love the concept. I love the idea. This is basically the idea that you can create custom elements, right? Which is all the rage in the browser. But the browser, even though it's not widely implemented in the browsers, there is a spec for custom elements. Like there's a legitimate yeah. way to create custom elements. Yeah, they're, it's, it's web components, part of the spec. And it's, I mean, web components as a set of APIs are not well implemented, but this part of the API, it's great. It's there, right? It's widely available today. And so I can create the Jest component as a tag and go and use it. So this allows you to do that, right? So in web forms, we used to have to prefix everything with, you know, if you're using the ASPS. ASP colon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, open tag, ASP colon, tag name, right? So now you get that same thing where you can say, I can literally have the Jest tag, but it's not a client-side rendered tag in Angular. It is a server-side rendered tag. Right. My point is, what about when you want it to be both? That can get kind of confusing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is one of the things when they first came out, I'm like, uh, interesting, but how many of us are actually doing this today? Aren't we just throwing divs and other things up there? It's all what's being rendered client-side, whether it's Angular or jQuery. It seems like it makes tag helpers easier to use, or sorry, uh, HTML helpers easier to use, but I'm not sure how much I would actually use this. This was the yeah, alternative in Razor. Tag hel- or the HTML helpers were the alternative, right? If you wanted to make a button and you wanted to do some dynamic stuff, you would call a method and you would say at HTML dot button, button right? yeah. text yeah. box four or whatever, right? And here you can actually say, pass in all those same parameters, but it looks like HTML. And the concept is exactly the concept that it, that it is in, in Angular. Right, you're like adding behavior to this thing, and you're implementing it. You're you're interacting with it through the DOM interface, the DOM, not the DOM API, because you're not in the browser, yeah. but the the DOM language, right? The yeah. HTML language. The Razor, the Razor uh, parser. It's, no, it's not right. Razor. It's it. Yes, the Razor parser is reading it and understanding it, but you're using HTML. Yeah. Right. You're using. At the end of the day, though, HTML. That's attributes. a server side thing. It's going to generate some kind of HTML. Right, so if I yes. create a custom tag helper yes. and I tell it to render a div yes. in the client, I'm going to see div. I'm not going to see yes. Jess's thing. So the big, the big, <laughs> the big funny thing about this is when they first kind of released it, they were talking about, well, what about namespaces like conflicts? Right, if I name mine Todd and you name yours Todd, yeah. you know, they're all global. And so, what about the namespaces? Well, we have to have a way to qualify them. So let's put something in the beginning and then follow <laughs> it by a colon, and that'll be the qualifier. <laughs> Hmm. And all of the ASP.NET custom stuff will be ASP.NET colon. <laughs> and everything that's old is new again. Uh-huh. So just alone, I can't use this feature. It seems too much like web forms. I'm sorry. Well, uh, so here's the, the thing. Helpers. I think here's you'll grow out of Vote that. Down. I think you'll go away from that. Ta- tag helpers are for folks who are really invested in Razor, right? Yeah. Server side. You want to run your sure. stuff server side. You're, you're, you're building Razor views. You're fully taking advantage of Razor. And there's a lot of folks who, quite frankly, they might love C-sharp and they might love it on the back end. And so they're going to say app.useMVC and they're going to proceed to build a web API and their front end's going to be a spa. But sometimes I think it's easy for us to forget. And look, I don't have numbers. I don't know number. I have no idea. You got to figure there's a heck of a lot of folks out there who are fully invested in a server side framework and they're fine with it. They're, yeah, like but whatever. The, the reason you're going to want to use tag helpers over HTML helpers that you're used to is just preference. 
It is literally, there's no, there's no Don't other you get reason. more information as a tag helper? Like you can do more? Well, is so not- as an HTML helper, you're literally just calling a method, right? There's, it's not much more to it. So you, you have to implement all that stuff. So yes, as a, as a tag helper, I think you get a little, it's been a while since I, since I wrote one and that was back in the beta days too. So it might've changed, but as a tag helper, you do get a little bit more information. Like you get access to the, uh, the, the element and stuff. I think the element and its attributes and, and the attributes and, so and everything. On. So yeah, you could yeah. like, you know, like again, it's like you're creating your own HTML, but it all executes on the server. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I, 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 it is, that is a, that is a very fair point. It is not just that, right? It's not literally just the, the difference between an HTML helper. But I think that if you are going to decide whether or not you're going to invest in HTML helpers or tag helpers, I think it, a, preference is going to drive a lot of it. Like, how do you want your HTML to look? Are you okay with there being some razor calls in there, method calls? Or do you want it to look more like HTML, even though it's not really HTML that's not going to be on the, that's going to go to the browser, right? Like the result of this tag helper is that it could strip out some of these tags that are just meant for server-side stuff. So that by the time it gets rendered, those tags don't go down to the client. Now you have to do that explicitly. I'm just saying that is something that you can do which would give that real big dissonance of like in my razor file, I have an element that has this attribute on it and it never makes it down to the client. Why? Right. Yeah, well, I, mean, it, I mean, that's the whole idea, right? It's, it's meant to, I'm defining the structure I want, but I want some pre-processing on the server. It's going to transform that into something else. Yeah. I like it. I think Todd, I think you in particular, and I will probably grow to love it and we will prefer it over the HTML helpers. Not everybody will. Yeah. I mean, I haven't used HTML helpers in four years, so. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> Except for one or two minor things here and there. Again, there's there are times, hey, I just need a contact form. Great, throw up the begin form, and it is, just, it is easy enough to do it in Razor. Yeah. So I'm sure there's still times. Yeah. Well, and so, so there's also a sibling concept to this, too, and that's view components, right? So... The tag helpers are are really supposed to be literally just for that, like a tag, creating a custom element or a custom tag just in that one little place, right? They're not really made to like abstract away a whole component with a lot of uh, logic and everything. Those are, so view components is a way to, uh, basically it's the way to create child components. I'm, I'm relatively certain that child components, child, sorry, child actions in ASP.NET MVC, previous versions, um, child actions are gone. So child actions were away from once you got to the view and you wanted to kind of render some dynamic stuff, you would basically like initiate the MVC pipeline in the MVC request again and kind of route to another action, a child action. So it was like executing an action within an action. Um, so that is gone. Child actions are gone. And the alternative is a view component where you define the component, you say execute this component, and it basically creates a new class with a method and everything. And it's 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 effectively the same thing, like conceptually the same thing, like render this piece and do it by executing this method and giving it the context and everything, except it's not literally a, a controller action, if that makes sense. But it has things like inject that you can you can you have dependency injection and everything. So it, it is more kind of one of those things where you really got to see it to really truly understand it and and how valuable it is. Um, but it is, 
<laughs> I really have no better way of saying it than it is what it sounds like. It is a component. It is a view component. Like it is an isolated thing that um, you can com- create completely separate from everything else, including a component. The best use for me that I found is a component that actually uses some data, right? So you can actually in that class, which is not a controller, it's not an action, it's a class. And you, in that class, you can like inject, inject in the constructor, give me a, a data context, right? Give me access to the database. I'll make a database call and get that data and give it to my my view, which is a partial view. And then all of that just gets rendered all in isolation and it originates from a call from the view, right? Yeah, which makes sense, right? I mean, a lot yeah. of times you created that child controller and all it was doing is just saying, redirected this view, right? Exactly. It, wasn't, yep. it was an extra layer of stuff that didn't really provide too much more well, overhead and more code to write. Yes, and those child actions had to live on a controller. And so you're always faced with, well, do I create a new controller just for these actions? Yeah, how do I reuse though, them across different pages? How do I yeah. reuse? Exactly. How do I yeah. reuse them? That was I the biggest to, problem. Yeah, I seem to remember trying to do something similar with yeah, them. Yeah. I think I wanted something in the layout manager, and it was like you had to jump through some hoops to get it to work. And yep, 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 yeah, yep, it was, yep. It was definitely. So this solves all those problems. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it far more than, than tag helpers. Because <laughs> <laughs> it solves a problem, right? It's something yeah. you, you, you're more likely to use. Well, and it encourages modularity, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what I, yeah. Yes, I really we're all big that. about modularity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Components, so components, components. Yeah. You're going to find that you're going to create le- fewer like partial views and stuff and, and more view components. Like really the only reason to create a partial view right now is to just take a chunk of your view and put it into another yeah. file, right? Just to maintain it. But if that view has any kind of logic or anything behind it, you're going to want to separate it out into a view component and have that nicely segregated independent logic in the controller and then the view in the view and it's all nice and small right so well i mean okay so we know that that coming soon are for signal r for sure because that's super popular it's something that people ask about all the time yeah is when is signal r coming for for dotnet core and asp.net core yep um it sounds like like web pages, which I mean, I'm not even sure a lot of people know about. Sometimes I've actually asked in many, many rooms. I said, "Does anybody here know about <laughs> web pages?" And like nobody raises their hand. Yeah, but I think that's still near and dear to the team's heart. So like it may come. Nobody ever soon. knew about them. It was something that just <laughs> yeah. never. Yeah, and I loved. I loved the idea for to web small, forms. simple. Yeah, there, there sites. was something they had floating around, like a designer or something. I forget what it was. They when they first introduced web pages, there was a specific use case. Oh well, that was the web matrix stuff. Web yeah, matrix, probably yeah. web matrix. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I liked the use case of like I'm just gonna have a two page site, and I needed to have a little bit of smarts. Right. I love. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, a I mean, big fan of it. Yeah. No, in other You're words, built- Razor is awesome. But why do yes. I need all that other crap? Just why to do run I need Razor? controllers yeah. for yeah. a little just site? Something yeah. Or yeah. if you're you're working like something like a CMS website, like Orchard or something like that, sometimes you just need to have code right in the page to do something quick. You don't want to have to like, how do I create a new controller in this site and then get things? You yep. just want to have the common controller get to your page and then you do some custom. Yeah, yeah. Custom so we'll pieces. see what they come up with for web pages. Because to be honest with you, I, I, my feeling is Signal R is going to look a lot like the signal R of today. Sure. Although on my wish list, I have no clue if this is going to happen, but on my wish list is dropping the dependency on jQuery in the JavaScript library. 
That's well, that's just on my wish. It has nothing to do with .NET Core, right? It's got it's nothing to do with .NET Core. It's the JavaScript yeah. client. Well, Absolutely. but Signal R was already Owen compatible, right? Wasn't it already written on Owen? So it's a very short distance to go from Owen to .NET Core, right? Yeah, it just has to be done. That's all. Isn't there literally a compatibility like a Owen I've .NET tried Core it. thing? So in beta five, isn't there like a package or something? Yeah, there's an Owen shim. I shouldn't call it a shim. There's an Owen bridge. And in beta five, I tried to bring SignalR up on .NET, which was back then called not called .NET Core, I'm sure. <laughs> DNX or and, something. And uh, there was a beta where it stopped working. There was like it worked <laughs> yeah. in beta four, it worked, and then beta five, like it stopped working. And I remember specifically going to the community standup and asking, and and the answer was kind of like, yeah, that's uh, that's going to happen. Yeah. Signal R's coming later. And that's we finally why I, took out that piece it was dependent on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it is really helpful that the leaders, the project leads on the ASP.NET team are the owners and the originators and the founders of Signal R. So they have a personal. Yes, they they uh, have a vested interest in, right, in, vested in getting it there. In, yeah. So and, I think, and it, it does answer yeah. a set of use cases, right? I mean, that's to me. Oh, yeah. And it, more it than just web use cases, work. I mean, people use it to like do cross-platform communication. You know, Android, Visual Studio and iOS, uses and whatever. It. It's bundled into Visual Studio for browser link and stuff. Yeah. So SignalR, I think we know for sure is coming. I, I would be willing to bet if if you are one of the few web pages fans out there listening, and I might be the only one. Um, I don't know that it's going to look exactly the same, but I think that's that's kind of the server side framework. Right. But there's a lot more to talk about here. Like the, the projects have changed. So tooling has changed a lot. Tooling is huge. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in the early days of the, in the beta days and everything, they were really, really big on grunt and gulp and everything. And now there's not a sign of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still there, but it's yeah. on the templates. Yeah. We'll so. have to talk about that both in Visual Studio and without because something yeah. I can't wait to talk about is how I played with all this stuff. I closed Visual Studio and said, I am going to be command line and VS Code And only. VS Code, I know. I don't have to open full-blown Visual Studio anymore. Yeah. I can't wait for it. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I, we'll talk about that next time because I got the, all that working and I uh, can't wait to share yeah. how that's that what went. You're talking about like you're going to go to run on Linux or Mac. That's your that's your experience, right? You right. Know, well, that's Visual what I want to do next. Is, over there. Yeah, definitely. I, I tested it on Windows. I want to go play with it a little bit on, on Linux and then... Just kind of see how it feels to go back and forth, and what does that feel like? Awesome. Well, on on that little teaser, I think we'll we'll yes. wrap it up here. So we'll yeah. definitely get into those in the next shows. And and you listener, what do you think? Um, I mean, are you excited about about using ASP.NET Core? Uh, you know, how do you feel about the middleware pipeline and and all of this new stuff? Um, are there any other like questions or concerns that you have? Please let us know. Uh, leave a comment on the website staticvoidpodcast.com or go ahead and email us uh, comments at staticvoidpodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, and Chris, Todd, thank you very much as yep, always. Yep. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time on the Static Void Podcast.